Blog Talk Radio. Black Hole Radio presents Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. With your hosts, Rudolph Muhammad and Yusuf Muhammad. There's a train a coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the dealer coming. Don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. The train to Jordan Picking up passengers Coast to coast Faith in the peace Over the doors and bottom Blessings, peace, and blessings in the name of the all-wise, true, and living God. We welcome you, our first-time listeners. We welcome you, our consistent and constant listeners. Thank you, the Most High God, for giving us another opportunity to come before you on this weekly edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. We thank all of you for the honor of your ear and the privilege of your presence. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Here we are in the first week of the month of February in the year 2024. All kinds of things are happening relative to disaster awareness, relative to hopefully uh, for community preparedness, because here we say we want you to survive, and then we say this is about community involvement, community investment, community partnership for community risk reduction. I am your co-host, Brother Yusef Muhammad, along with our dear brother, Brother Rudolph T. Muhammad. It gives us great pleasure. We're humbled and honored to 
come before you once again this week to offer with you uh, the update of the landscape, if you will, as it re, um, pertains to that which has come across our screen since last week as we continue to remind you, because again, a reminder is a benefit for the believers. A reminder is a profit to the believers, P-R-O-F-I-T-S, and a reminder is a mercy to the believers. We thank Almighty God Allah for his coming, his merciful intervention in the affairs of men and raising one in the most honorable Elijah Muhammad and leaving with us the honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, who has given us guidance, has given us truth and warning, not only as a torchlight for America, but a warner to the nations of the earth. In those three great yet humble names, I'm honored to greet my brothers and sisters this afternoon, this evening, or this morning, depending on where you are on the planet. With the greeting words of peace and paradise, as-salamu alaykum. Again, brother, thank you, Brother Rudolph. Praise be to Almighty God, Allah. For those who are not familiar with that greeting, it simply means peace be unto you and unto you be peace. But more than that, it also means that we offer a prayer one to another that each one of us would have peace as we continue to go through our day. So again, we thank all of you for the honor of your ear and the privilege of your presence. Uh, Welcome to another weekly edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. Now, we've dedicated today and uh, the remaining weeks of this month to highlight the ancestors and the elders who have contributed to emergency management, disaster preparedness, the all-hazards profession, just to bring before you some names that you may be familiar with and you may not be familiar with. So shout out to the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. Shout out to the Dr. Paul Holmes Executive Development Institute. Shout out to the Black Chief Officers Committee of the IBPFF because many of the ancestors and the elders were responsible in some way of establishing those institutions. Shout out to the Side. Volunteer Ambulance Corps out of Brooklyn, and those yes, who sir. work with our dear brother, Brother Commander James Rocky Robinson, and all those who were with him, the men and the women, the men being the backbone right. and the women being the cornerstone that we would yes, have uh, today to talk about disaster awareness for community preparedness. So I'm going to get out of your way at this time and let our dear brother Rudolph T. Muhammad welcome you in the way that God has ordered his steps and made firm history, and then we'll get into our content for today. Thank you, Brother Rudolph. The floor is yours, brother. Thank you, sir. Beginning all things in the name of the Most High, the one true and living God, the I am that I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the all 
encompassing, omnipotent, omnipresent, self-subsisting one who, based on the thoughts in his own mind, gave himself form and fashioned himself into shape, brought himself into existence from the triple darkness of a womb called space. He ordered and Brother Yusuf, pick up a Brother Rudolph. We, we, we temporarily lost him, please. Yes, sir. Also, beloved, um, Brother said he's having problems getting in. Brother Gary Tenney, who's the vice president. But I, I, I'll continue. Peace and blessings, brothers and sisters. Peace and blessings. Uh, we uh, thank you for your patience. Pardon the but I'm going to take these earbuds out. And so what we say is uh, science, technology is great. It's just not an exact science. So, Brother Rudolph, if if you're here, beloved, and you can pick up where you left off, and then we'll move forward, or as the hip-hop heads would say, proceed to give you what you need. Brother Rudolph? Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Yeah, so as I was saying, giving all praise and thanks to the Most High, the one who is – responsible for your and my existence, that one who has created all that was, is, and will be. We are talking about that great omnipotent, omnipresent, self-subsisting one who, out of his own mind, fashioned and designed all that we see and all that we use to give ourselves pleasure and benefit in this dispensation of Yeah, our dear brother is having some technical difficulties. But um, many of you know that we don't open up without giving honor to the Most High God, the source of our supply. So that's certainly a part of our welcoming each and every week because we can't talk about disaster awareness for community preparedness unless we tap into the source greater than ourselves. But as I mentioned earlier, just getting right into the content of uh, this week, and the weeks following in the month of February, I mean, look, we all can agree in watching the weather that the weather has been peculiar. In fact, it went from an Arctic freeze one week to it being warm this week. I happen to currently be in New Jersey, and shout out to our engineers of Black Hole Radio LLC, headquartered in New York. It's cloudy and overcast and some rain, but it's sunshine in Detroit. Go figure. The weather's been peculiar, whether you're talking about tornadoes, hurricanes, Arctic freezes, and the like. So that's one way to consider that I of ourselves can do nothing without the creator to help prepare ourselves for this peculiar weather. The Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan has 
instructed us for years to, quote, unquote, watch the weather. And then we, we, when we talk about global issues, I know people can't wait to hear what the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan has to say at the Savior's Day Convention on February 25th coming up as to what the great Mahdi and the great Messiah have to say about the war in the Middle East. And as all eyes can't help but to watch when mainstream media news puts on the catastrophes in Palestine and Israel, if you will, right now, in the four months of that conflict, there's been 27,000 people killed, 66,000 people wounded, and 11,000 of the 27,000 people killed have been children. Shout out to the emergency management workers who are doing all that they can to bring some semblance of healing uh, there in that area of the planet. But if the truth be told, whether we look on the other side of the planet or whether we look deep within what's going on on the blocks where we may live, it's all kind of confusion going on, all kinds of death, disease, destruction going on. And for that, we need to take heed to not only what the ancestors and elders have prepared for us today to take heed to, but to those who are, we consider our leadership and our teachers today. But certainly there's a question that is asked, how do we understand the value of a good teacher? And when you talk about black history, not just for a month, but for 365 days of the year, you can't help but to think about black history, black history. The story of my people means a lot to me. Where you came from shouldn't be a mystery. So listen up while we school you on black history. For from the crust of the earth with his own hands, God created the black woman and man. But that was just the beginning of famous first, for as long as the black family has walked the face of the earth, we've proved to possess ingenuity while making our mark in history. And that's black history, G. The story of my people means a lot to me. Where you came from shouldn't be a mystery. So listen up while we share with you some black history as it results to uh, as it results uh, to uh, the people who have come before us on whose shoulders we stand and and on whose wings we fly. I think it was the hip-hop artist Rakim who said, if you can't seem to solve the mystery, the answer revolves around your history. So carefully, I dropped this degree scientifically and realistically. And we all know, brothers, that even though we might highlight an individual man or woman, nobody's able to accomplish anything on their own by themselves. We all need a great team around us, but 
as I mentioned, the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. Allow me to share with you some history of a man by the name of David James Floyd, who was the founding president of the IBPFF, the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. Well, he was elected by those who came together in 1970, selected our dear brother, elected him, and he served until 1980, a decade, 10 years. Dave also served as the president of his local organization, the Vulcan Society Incorporated of New York City during 1972 and again from 1982 to 1986. Thus, the aspirations and frustrations of black firefighters were not new to him. In 1971, under his leadership, the Vulcan Society Incorporated filed a lawsuit against the New York City Fire Department's entrance exam and won. Praise be to Allah for his ability to fight. Uh, His uh, bio goes on to say he was born in New York City on October 17, 1937, attended the public school system, and had one year of college. He entered the New York City Fire Department in 1960. He was promoted to the rank of lieutenant in 1971 and captain in 1987. Dave's preference in the fire department was rescue work. So after gaining experience in a busy ladder company, He was transferred to rescue company number two in 1965. Thus, Dave became the first black firefighter in the history of the New York City Fire Department to be assigned to this elite unit. In the book entitled 20,000 Alarms, which was written by Lieutenant Richard Hamilton at the time, the most decorated fireman or firefighter in New York's history, devoted a chapter to Dave Floyd, whom he worked with in Rescue Company Number 2. The chapter was entitled, quote, unquote, Black Wasn't Always Beautiful. During his tenure as president of the IBPFF, it grew from five founding organizations to over 40 by the time he stepped down in 1980. Dave has received numerous awards or did receive numerous awards and plaques and from various IBPFF affiliates for his dedication and struggle to blacks in the fire service. The IBPFF has named an award for valor after him, and uh, the Houston black firefighters have done the same until his passing in 1997, one week uh One day a week, you could find him at Vulcan Hall teaching and preparing brothers and sisters for the next promotional exam. Among things Dave liked most were people, a challenge, and a good cigar. Uh, So I just wanted to highlight our dear brother, Brother David James Floyd, the first president of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. Feel free, brothers and sisters, to press one on your phone pad and come into the studio and to the 
to the queue, if you will, that we can discuss the history of maybe a black firefighter you might know in the city where you reside. And we look forward to having a deliberate dialogue and constructive criticism with you as we go forward in the program. You're listening to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, uh, a show that is dedicated to you because we want you to survive. We're at 4.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, Brother Rudolph, I don't know if you were able to come back, brother, but if so, the floor is yours, sir. Okay, I see we're still having some difficulty there. But, again, brothers and sisters, it's critically important to always recognize and at the doc, doc, recognize those who have come before you. As it said at the Dr. Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute as a chant, each and every year, all that I am, I owe. I live eternally in the red. All that I am, I owe. I live eternally in the red. All that I am, I owe. I live eternally in the red. So until Brother Rudolph comes back, allow me to continue. If no one else desires to come into the queue at this time, to share with you some history of blacks in the fire service and highlight some of the words of Dr. Carl Holmes and some other historians. Well, in the words of the late great historian Dr. John Henry Clark, quote, unquote, history is like a map. It gives you a sense of direction. It is like a compass. It assists you with navigating just in case you misread the map. It's like a clock. It lets you know what time it is, quote, unquote, Dr. John Henry Clark, beautiful. So what time is it I offer to you, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen? Do you have a professional fire service GPS, global positioning system, to help you find your destination? Or at the Dr. Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute, first of all, we highlight outstanding executive leadership training and memorable networking. I'm sure the staff and the students can bear witness to the memorable networking and the outstanding executive leadership training that has taken place at the Dr. Carl Holmes Executive Institute since 1991. Dr. Carl Holmes used to always ask this question, how is your customer service delivery measured? He would give us rules of leadership to be a follower, to be a leader of people, to be a leader of leaders. And I must lift up our dear brother, former president of the, or chairperson of the Black Chief Officers Committee, Brother Ray Brooks, who led fire service organizations from uh, city in Michigan to uh, San Jose, California to Birmingham, Alabama. Chief Ray Brooks used to say, take each letter 
of the word leadership, L-E-A-D-E-R-S-H-I-P, and attach a characteristic, attach an attribute, if you will, to each letter to describe your definition of leadership. For instance, L could represent listener, E, engage, A, attentive, D, decisive, E, empathy, R, research, S, studious, H, helper, I, innovator, and P, proactive. These are just some of the things you can apply to yourself in terms of rules of leadership. One, be a good follower, be a leader of people, number two. Number three, be a leader of listeners. And number four, you put the words that you think leadership should be as an acronym to the word leadership, L-E-A-D-E-R-S-H-I-P. Now, if you're going to be a great leader, and remember that question, how do we understand the value of a good teacher? We've had great teachers, and some teachers help you to understand decision-making. I can bear witness from the blacks in the fire service who came before me. They wanted you to look back in order to move forward. Uh, African historians would call it Sankofa, look back in order to move forward. In other words, reflection helps your projection. It's decision-making as a leader. But once you know better, you are obligated to do better and fulfill your purpose. All that I am, I owe. I live eternally in the red. And in decision-making, be prepared for whatever circumstance confronts you. In the final analysis, you are only as good as the results you get. Isn't that something? And, of course, the significance of history is that GPS, map for direction, compass to navigate, clock to Gotcha. I'm with you now. I'm with you. Number two. Got you. Whoever that is, I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to finish this significance of history and then ask you to come on in, beloved. Number two, the significance of history, it develops springs and motives for human action. Number three, it gives you importance of leaving a legacy for future generations. And number four, it's best qualified and most attractive to reward our research as we are taught by the most honorable boy, Elijah Muhammad. So I heard a voice come in. Um, my dear brother, welcome to another weekly edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. Please state your name and uh, where you're calling from. Welcome. That's right. Yes, sir. My name is Addington Hello? Stewart. Yes. <laughs> Can you hear me? Peace and blessings, brother. Yes, sir. Can yes, you hear sir, me? Yes, brother. Yes, we hear yes. you. Loud and clear. Okay. All righty. 
of course, Addington Stewart, uh, 10th president. Uh, in between me was our good friend, Brother Hill, as as the president right. of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. And just in listening to you speak of Brother Floyd and Brother Brooks and uh, uh, our good brother, Dr. Holmes. Dr. Carl Holmes, uh, all right. in places that I've shared with you at some point in time or another. Uh, mm-hmm. And, of course, I, you mentioned earlier about uh, those that uh, we came after and whose shoulders we stand. Uh, for 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 me, locally, uh, Brother Joseph Hughes and Brother Robert Beautiful. Anderson, uh, right. regional directors of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters, both leaders locally here in the St. Louis area uh, that uh, were present. Well, Joe wasn't a president, but Joe was a uh, kind of a right-hand man, uh, I should say, that could do a lot of the dirty work for, for, for Bob Vanderson. Uh, but uh, Bob was our president from 1978 to 2000. And and everything that we did during that mm. time in relationship to testing, in relationship to employment, uh, was guided by him, promotions, uh, uh, all of those things were guided by him, and he followed the leadership of, of director uh, at that time, uh, Joe Hughes. And so, just mm-hmm. just those, and not going into every detail of, of both of them, uh, but those were the hard hard time leaders of our organization that I followed, and uh, which led me to follow on into the international, which led me to follow on to EDI, which uh, me and brother. Mohammed, I, I think I've been there. I've been at EDI since 1995, uh, and uh, we're going into 2024. Uh, and, and I'm still teaching a class there on assessment centers with uh, Brother William Spike Jones and uh, Emeritus uh, Fire Chief Sherman George. So, but the, the things about those leaders and, and those particular guys. So those are were the ones I thought should be mentioned and, and shared in your program, of which I, I know you've met and and know both. Yes, sir. Well, we thank you, Mr. President, for your commitment and standing on the shoulders of those who, you know, y'all know I, I, I say it with affection, but I call those men like American gangsters in a Denzel Washington kind of way, you know what I mean? Because That's those right. men were so great. They were gangster. They had courage, and they moved yeah. out. They didn't just talk to talk. They walked to walk. So I thank you, right. Brother President Addington Stewart, for adding your richness, brother, to our program this week and lifting up those names because, you know, as much as they mean to you, they mean as much to me. And I wasn't in St. Louis, but I saw the end result of what those brothers did and the sisters who supported them and what you did and uh, Chief uh, uh, Sherman George did and Spike Jones did, and I was just reading a advertisement of uh, Spike's brother, Joe Jones. May God be pleased with him that they, you know, the IBPFF named a scholarship after him. And so, um, you know, you, you really touched my heart, big brother, just, this, just that you would find uh, in your busy schedule to come and offer that history to our listening audience 
and you know what it means to me. So I pray you and your family are well. I'm going to get out the way. Brother Rudolph might have a question for you to take it further, but you know I love you, brother. Ain't nothing you can do about it. Brother Rudolph? <laughs> I agree with the same. You, you know, no, no, I don't have a question. I just want to thank thank you too, Brother Addison, for because it's brothers like yourself that opened the door for brothers like myself to be able to have somewhere to have a career, a meaningful career, that I could raise a family and be proud of what I do. Because brothers like yourself, y'all, y'all really fought the hard fight. See, we. Getting something started is the hard part. Making improvements on something that's already there, that's the easy part. That ball rolling, that's the hard part. And y'all y'all did the hard job. So, yeah, hats off, and, and I'm standing at attention saluting you right now, brother. <laughs> I appreciate you, Brother Rudolph. And, and, and I don't have but a lot to say other than, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, the listeners really, really don't understand what it took for brothers like yourself back then to stand up and fight for the right to do what you're doing so that you could open the door so that brothers like brothers you said, myself and other brothers that come through could have an honorable profession. They don't really realize what the times were like back then and how prevalent the uh, establishment was against people of color and especially getting into this particular. Uh, you know, can, maybe you could talk a little bit about it and, and get them to feel the pain um, that, that took, you know, with that struggle? Well, I, I will give an example of what I experienced early in my career, uh, being the only African-American on the engine company I was on at the time in a triple firehouse uh, that had uh, 15 members there and three of us were black. And uh, uh, we we... We had our own lunch and supper clubs, if you guys know what that, that means, and I know you all do, but whether your listeners do or don't, uh, normally you would think all the firefighters are sitting there eating together and it's a kumbaya thing, but it didn't happen in the engine house I was at. And uh, so you had to daily, every day, be on guard to protect yourself against what they call now I think is a horseplay or a bullying in some aspects, uh, those things you had to do, which is also known as harassment. And and we dealt with those things during that time when I was there. But I was there with a couple of guys that was real gangsters from the streets as well. So uh, the one guy, I'll never forget him, his name was Michael Franklin. <laughs> And and Michael Franklin was from the streets, from the streets, hustling and everything when I got there. And and not to disparage his name, he was a real good, strong brother. And what we did was, uh, and I used to ride to work with him because I didn't even have a car when I got hired. I was 19 years old, right out of high school. But but them brothers took me under their wings and uh, 
uh, really helped me navigate any of those situations I was coming up with. And the one I, the first one I can really recall is when I first got there, it was two white guys sitting in front of an engine house. I hadn't even been there yet. I was scheduled to work the next day. And these white guys did not speak to me. I didn't know them. I never met them. They were firemen there, though. They didn't tell me how I could get in the engine house. They weren't friendly. Uh, I had to figure out how to how to do that on my own. And uh, uh, it was that was just what you were met with, just because I was black and being hired. And and so, you know, from there, uh, it went to riding in charge of the company or even acting or as a captain on, a, on an engine company. I uh, had to deal with that. The first time they denied me the opportunity to ride, I called my my rep in the district. Hey, man, they not letting me ride. Well, the first thing he said hmm. to me, either you're going to be a man or a mouse. And, I mean, how can you – how can you argue with that statement? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, uh, I had to do what I had to do because they didn't allow me to ride in charge of the company. Yes, now, uh, I, I stood up and, and challenged them on me not riding and let them know that that wasn't good. Well, you know, the next cycle, they brought two new white boys in and put them on that truck with me. Mm. Mm-hmm. So he, so he's not gonna have that argument anymore with us. You you get y'all, and I know y'all feel me. And so that was mm-hmm. that was just a taste. That was that was within my first couple of years there. Now the other guys on the trucks were there with on the other truck were there with me, and I and I wasn't fearful of anything happening to me. But you know I, I'll go back to some stories where the guys say they all used to have to carry briefcases and had a pistol at work. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and so I mean we can go on and on, but those those were some of the things. And then what's disheartening is I've heard some similar stories or worse recently. Mm. That's what's disheartening. Some of this stuff is still happening in a, quite a few pockets uh, uh, across the country, mm-hmm. and I know mm-hmm. uh, you brothers brothers know that as well. So. It's, it's still about uh, fighting a good fight and trying to talk to people to stand up and uh, just address these things as they come up, put stuff in writing, quit trying to think you can talk on the phone to people. Uh, you you got to put stuff in writing and uh, mm-hmm. be, be able to stand on it. And, and a lot of times what I'm hearing is people are walking away from this profession and uh, uh, or getting beat up by it and, Having a, a P, PTSD type of thing, right? And so, right. Uh, it's 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 still here today, unfortunately. But uh, I still think uh, it's going to depend on us old soldiers being able to still talk to some of the young folks uh, and inspire them. And I went to our recent meeting, and some of those young folks inspired me. So, I think that's what it's going to take. Uh, but the fight is still on. Ain't no doubt about it. That's oh, right. Yes, Thank you. That's right. That's right. You know, this is Black History Month, and because it's Black History Month, well, you know, we know every every day is really Black History, and but Black History is world history, so you can't separate the two. But because <clears> this <throat> is the authorized time for us to talk about, then we really gonna get down and talk about it this month. No hold up. So as you said, yes, there's a pr- 
And it's almost like that's the order of the day now. It's almost like we're uh, uh, we revisiting the civil rights, the, 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 the climate during the civil rights era once again because there's just a spirit that's alive and well. And like you said, no, we need boots on the ground, all hands on deck. we got to fight this fight, and you fight it the best way you can. You, if you can write, then you write. Pick up the pen against it. If you can do other things, then you do other things. But then everybody has a place in this fight, and that's what people have to understand. Sticking your head in the sand like an ostrich is not going to make it go away. Brother Yusuf? Yes, sir. Thank you, Brother Rudolph, and thank you, President Addington Stewart. 10th president of the IBPFF for sharing uh, your personal experience. And, you know, thank you for that question, Brother Rudolph, because it reminds me of, you know, uh, Brother Addington, we know about the black bed. You talked about the kitchen mm-hmm. uh, uh, culture at that time. Uh, Brother, our first president, David J. Floyd, he was standing on the corner as he was working as the president to organize us as a people. And somebody just uh, happened to come by and throw some acid on him. It mm-hmm. reminds me of uh, the former commissioner, our dear brother, wow. Lloyd Ayers of the Philadelphia Fire Department, who, as he uh, matriculated up the ranks and became the commissioner, that somebody spit in his Class A uniform hat. So, you know, it goes from that to, you know, uh, feces being found in the boots of firefighters. And also, you know, a fear tactic is also we've heard uh, of of uh, uh, the rope tied in a lynching uh, shape, if you will, and put on uh, brothers' and sisters' lockers for fear tactics. Right. So very good question, Brother Rudolph, and, you know, we, we want our listening audience to know that history is not just dates, times, numbers, and people. There are circumstances that surround the history that you need to know. So as a leader, as a manager, as a soldier with some testicular fortitude, if you will, um, you know, there's some research hints you need to consider, too, because it's about inspiring the next generation who hopefully will inspire the next generation. And so when you talk about research as a leader, you have to define the task that you're going to engage in. You have to define the information problem, identify the information needed. As Brother President added to Stewart says, you got to document it. There's some information-seeking strategies. You determine all possible sources. You select the best sources after you determine all the possible sources. So you want task definition. You want information-seeking strategies. You want location and access. You want to locate the sources intellectually and physically, and you want to select, again, the best source. You have to use all information available to us and do your research because now today in the world of artificial intelligence, 
you might not know what you're getting. So you got to test the use of the information that you get. You got to engage. You got to read. You got to hear. You got to view. You got to touch, and then extract all the relevant information. These are things that, I mean, I know I'm speaking fast maybe to some, and some of you may say, well, what's this got to do with history? It's got everything to do with history. Because when you experience, as Brother President Addington Stewart said, what's currently being done in some of these firehouses, according to his intel, Brother Addington reminded me of the father. This is black history, Brother Rudolph the father of the past uh, commissioner of the Los Angeles County Fire Department, our dear brother, Brother Chief Darrell Osby, his father before him became a chief over, I think, three different cities, San Jose, San Diego, and maybe Ingleside. But he used to have this quote, and his quote used to be, the dinosaurs may be dead, but don't forget they laid eggs. And here we are, dealing with what we're dealing with. And so I just wanted, I thought you would, big brother. I just wanted our listening audience to understand that history is not just dates, times, people, numbers. No, it's giving you an opportunity if you as a student would study to better prepare you for what in the fire services called situational awareness, knowing what to do, how to do, where to do, and when to do. So we're at 446, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, Eastern Standard Time, 446 p.m., of course. And uh, if anyone else feels compelled to come into the studio, we would love to hear your testimony as Brother Addington Stewart watered our soul of his experience in lifting up the ancestors and the elders on whose shoulders he stands and on whose wings we fly. Shout out to uh, uh, my predecessor, Brother President Johnny J. Brewington, out of Cleveland, Ohio. He sends me a text of original salute to all of us on the line and those who may be listening. So press one on your star, on your phone pad, and, and, and come into the queue, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, again, history is not about just dates, numbers, times, people. It's about the synth synthesis of those who came before us, the synthesis of those who will come after us, and then organize from multiple sources and then present the information. Then evaluate what you've done and or not done. Judge the product, your effectiveness. Judge the process, your efficiency. I'm going to step back and come back, if it be the will of Allah, and pass it back on to our dear brother if we don't have anyone in the studio at this time. Brother Rudolph, the floor is yours, brother. Man, brother, man, man. You know, how you going to set, how you going to do that, brother Yusuf? Man, you are. You, it's you, your you, fault, you, brother Rudolph. It's your fault. <laughs> man, you lit the match. You you threw it, brother. Brother Addison threw the gasoline. You lit the match. It caught, and now you gonna tell me? All right, go ahead. It's your turn. It's not left for me to dimble down. Man. 
Black Brother Rudolph and Mohammed. Yes, sir. Could, 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 could I help you with his dinosaur story? Yes, sir. It's, please. There, there's a, a live story, and 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 Brother Mohammed, Brother Yusuf, because both of your brothers are Mohammed, Brother Brother Yusuf. Uh, I'm sure you heard this uh, story from uh, Dr. Holmes. And and it was when he was a driver, and, and, and the chief he was driving, his son, I think, was a mm-hmm. captain or a member in the department, and, and, and he had Dr. Holmes rush him over to the hospital because his, 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 his son was, was having a kid. And he said when they got there, the, the, they, they were in the viewing window, and he was there as well, and he said, the chief said to his son, he said, yeah, that's going to be a Latterman. He said, no, it's going to be a, a, a pump man. No, we like Latterman. And those are those eggs he was talking about with them dinosaurs that they was already cultivating uh, through their sons and son-in-laws. So that was one piece. <laughs> and yeah, this was laughing and living color down in Oklahoma City. Now, the other one was uh, you, you, you spoke the leadership and all of the uh, letters and leadership. And it was one mm-hmm. statement that Dr. Holmes, again, uh, I, I think I'm quoting, and I'm sure you heard this before, but he said the definition of leadership is the ability to get someone to go to hell with you, and they look forward to the trip. Wow. That's how Dr. Holmes <laughs> described leadership. Wow. Go ahead. That's right. Nah. So I just wanted yeah, to leave y'all with those yeah. two. <laughs> yeah, Thank sir. you, brother. Beautiful. Well, you know, since we've taken this trip down memory lane, you know, I want to take time and give honor and praise and thanks to Ernest Chili Willie Thomas and Frederick Douglass Kirkpatrick. Now, I know people are wondering, who the heck are they? Yeah. Who the heck are they is the question. Well, those are the two brothers that in Jonesboro, uh, Louisiana, I believe it was, in 1964, that established a group of armed, militant, fearless black men, and they call them African-American men, who came to defend their community. They were called the Deacons for Defense. Brother Yusuf, mm-hmm. now I know you're the right. master of disaster. Yeah, but these were the dickheads for the <laughs> and these were these were a group of men who were veterans of the United States military, and they knew that they had the right to bear arms and knew how to use it. And so they decided there wasn't nobody going to cause a nuisance on or near. And so they got their weapons and they greased them up, they cleaned them up, they uh, uh, aimed them up, and then they helped each other and they organized themselves and decided no more. They were going to defend their community from hella hot water. And that's what they did. And when they stepped out there to do it, it sent chills throughout the establishment. So much so that it went all the way up the spinal cord of that beast to the head. And then they sent a message out telling them that they could not 
bear arms and walk around with guns like that in the community. And their response being men of testicular testicular fortitude, being real black men, men of honor, men of courage, men whose backs wasn't bent, who men who didn't scratch where they didn't itch, their response was, well, take them from us then. Mm, Obviously, mm, that did not happen. Obviously, Mm -hmm. there was no confrontation there, no physical confrontation, and it's just like with any bully. When you stand up to them, they stop, and they go find somebody else to bully. Yes, but the deacons for defense, they were around them, and they did good. They protected the civil rights uh, uh, um, marchers back then, you know, it, it, especially Dr. King. They would walk alongside of the marchers on either side of them with their firearms, letting mm. people know that if you move against them, it will be the last one you move against. See, and a lot of times, brother, you you know, when you got a junkyard dog and there's other junkyard dogs running loose in the community, sometimes you got to let your dog out of the fence, out of the yard, in order to deal with the, the dogs that's running wild in your community. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just a real primitive way of putting it. But in the Holy Quran, and, and I, you know, again, you the pastor, I'm just a deacon, but I do remember reading this, you know, at least once a year when I do, you know, when we go through Ramadan, how we have to read the Quran from cover to cover. I remember this verse that it says, and had we not raised men to repel men, the earth would have been overwrought with wickedness. Mm-hmm. Let you know that let you know that the God of justice, the God of right, the God of righteousness gives you when you're born the authority to take charge of your post. The question is, do you have the testicular fortitude authority that your creator gave you against the main main enemy to your and my rise and stand up for what is right for you and your family. That's the question. So I'm just saying here to all of the younger people that are listening, listen, this generation that's out here right now, this is the best generation that has ever been created from us. Mm-hmm. This is the best generation of young black men and women. They're born feeling what they need is they need guidance and they need instruction and they need organization. That's what they need. And that's what the scripture says. I believe it's a scripture, right, Brother Yusuf? You help me out now. Because I ain't trying to quote it. But there's a scripture that says, old men for counsel, young men for women. That's right. Go ahead. You You know, I I, I do believe that, you 
you know, everybody wants to talk about, you know, oh, no, no, see, you talking all that war stuff, and that's not Christian-like. That's not righteous-like. That's not God-like. But I do believe that there's a scripture in the book of Isaiah where it tells the farmers to gather all their farming equipment and go and <laughs> preach them into a church and trade them in for a source. Well, what does a farmer need a source for? What does mm. a farmer need a fear for? Because there comes a time when you got to put the rake down, when you got to put the reins to the plow down, and you have to defend your land so you'll have land to plow tomorrow. So, Brother Yusuf, I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to turn it back over to you, Brother Yusuf. Go ahead, big brother. Beautiful, beautiful. I don't know, Brother Addington, if you wanted to say anything to that, I'll give you that opportunity. If not, we'll move on with what we have. But uh, I heard the spirit coming through you as Brother Rudolph was explaining to us that very significant history of the deacons of defense and what our younger generation needs to understand. Brother Addington, did you have anything you wanted to share? No, it, it sounded like everything he was saying after you spoke the first time. You know, what else can you say, and how do you follow that? And I and I had that that trouble following you in in in, in different venues. Uh, how do you follow these brothers with the knowledge uh, that they just shared with us? So I know better. I'm gonna just leave it at that and let y'all laugh at that. Well, guess what, brother Addict? It's all your fault, brother. You the one that sparked that match, brother. Or or or, or and, and threw the gasoline on it. I right, knew Brother right, Rudolph right. was going to come with the conflagration, or if, if that's a word, conflagration. That's the word I'm looking for. Now. I knew he was going to blow it up. You know what I mean? <laughs> then he tried to put pressure on me about talking about scripture, disaster preparedness. Just let me recite um, Bob Nestor Marley. I get up. Nah, stand I, I, up I think stand I, up, I, I, I think right. we just had I think we just had a blevy. <laughs> I think so too Get up, stand up Don't give up the fight That's the bottom line See, yeah. Look, History is best qualified And most attractive to reward our research So we can go back to As far back as 1940 Where the six founding principles Of the Vulcan Society of New York Incorporated Were this, number one Maintaining close contact with the African-American community by supporting worthy causes. Number two, fighting racial bigotry and discrimination whenever and wherever it was found. Number three, the recruitment of blacks into the fire service. Number four, the establishment of fraternal bonds between its members. Number five, preparation of its members for promotional examinations. Number six, the formation of fraternal organizations in fire departments across the nation. And thus it was a work in progress, and here we are, brother former President Addington Stewart, 
the 10th president, myself, the 8th president of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters, and uh, uh, Brother James Hill was mentioned, who came in between Brother Addington and myself, and Brother Johnny J. Brewington was also mentioned, uh, who was my predecessor. And so, look, brothers and sisters, you need to know that a couple of things. This fire service profession went from, in terms of blacks, segregation to integration. According to Dr. Holmes, significant history began at the turn of the century. Firehouses were segregated coast to coast for approximately Mm -hmm. 60 years from the West Coast working our way east. Dr. Holmes named San Diego, Los Angeles, Oakland, Denver, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, St. Louis, Kansas City, Chicago, and Atlantic City, just to name a few. And it's no accident I'm sitting in Atlantic City as we broadcast today. So Dr. Holmes goes on to say around the 1960s, integration became a buzzword around the profession, although it was more ceremonious than it was actual fact. And you can remember prior to the 1960s, you had in the mid-50s the uh, murder of Emmett Till. You had the civil rights movement from Montgomery to Birmingham. Uh, You had the uh, Brown versus Board of Education. So all of these things created an atmosphere from, as we talked about, the spark of a match to a fire with gasoline thrown on it. Jim Crow Esquire, as you say all times, Brother Rudolph to a conflagration, to a blevy. So we got to understand and let our younger people, more importantly, understand the struggle continues. I think it said in uh, either Latin or Spanish, luta continua, the struggle continues, both mentally and physically. And as uh, both of you brothers know, I take great pride in, sharing what the creator shared with me to uh, say about the beauty of those on whose shoulders we stand, that I believe the legacy of black firefighters in America is just important to the fabric of America as the Tuskegee Airmen, the Negro Baseball League, the historical black colleges and universities, or the brothers and sisters who produced this country's original music, jazz. Well, since our inception, the conditions have required that we have the discipline of the military. We have the athleticism of the Hall of Fame. We have the academic resources of the HBCUs, the research and, resource and development, if you will and the intellect of musicians that understood and understand syncopation 
and improvisation. So whatever it means to be proud of your history, we offer today's presentation that you would teach it to your children so we can continue to be sustained and successful. But remember, once you hear today's program, you must hold yourself accountable. For as the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan teaches us, it's self-improvement that is the basis for community development. And the following questions might help you to mentally formulate this transition of who am I? Am I really who I think I am? Am I all that I ought to be? In other words, who am I? Where am I? And how did I get here? Brother Addington, it reminds me of our dear brother, Brother Danny Williams, who used to pen the article, are you black first or are you blue first? So I'm going to get out of your way and pass it back over to my dear brother, Brother Rudolph. And again, we encourage anyone on the line to press one and come into the queue that we can further this uh, program of highlighting those who came before us that we know we wouldn't be here without their contribution. Brother Rudolph. Yes, sir, Brother Yusuf. What I'm going to say is those six points that you uh, spoke about, marching orders, so to speak, uh, 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 aim, uh, uh, purpose, I, I want to get, take this opportunity to uh, give a shout-out to and, and Paul Washington and mm-hmm. Jeremy Coons of the New York City Fire Department, also of the New York City Vulcan Society, who did just that. They saw an injustice going on, and they rallied around and supported us at the Bed Stuy Volunteer Ambulance Corps when we were in our infancy trying to uh, right some of the wrongs of the medical community and dealing with the medical apartheid in New York City. Of course, was going on back then, but it's still going on now. No doubt. Those, those two brothers lent their time, their expertise, their spirit, and the membership of their organization to help us out in doing the things that we were doing in New York City. So, again, Paul Washington and his staff, and, of course, John Coombs and his staff, and, of course, you know, our sister is there heading it up now, you know, and I want to give a shout-out to her, too, Sister Regina. Regina Wilson. You know? mm-hmm. Yes, sir, and her staff, because they are on the front line, and they are holding it down. They're fighting the good fight every day to ensure that not just the members of their organization, but that those that look like them and those that are being oppressed voice a place to be heard and have support when they decide to stand up 
fight for themselves. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Now, also... No, that's, that's beautiful. Oh, I have to, brother. I have to. I have to. Because, again, you know, that's family. That is family, and that's what we are. We are truly a family. And, you know, others may not understand it or may come and try and use divisive tactics, but that small-time stuff ain't going to work now because we know who we are. And we have shared experiences that bond us like crazy glue. So there is no pulling us apart. So, you know, the Federal Stylist and Volunteer Ambulance Corps, of course, you know, I have to uh, thank because my father started that organization and that gave me the platform to learn this profession that I'm in from the ground up in a way that I never would have learned it, depending on the establishment the way it is right now. It gave me the opportunity, not just me, but me and those who were there, gave us the opportunity, one, to help our neighbors in our community. It gave us the opportunity to learn our job from the ground up and to get master's degree in EMS and emergency services through hands-on on-the-job training from a master himself. And how can we prove that James Rocky Robinson was a master? Because that's what he made. I want to say big up, Sydney. Congratulations to my little brother, Antoine Robinson, who is he's running the organization for the day-to-day operations of the organization, He's also a paramedic for the New York City Fire Department Bureau of EMS and has recently gotten his CIC, his Course Instructor Coordinator Certificate, meaning that he can now legally teach the EMT course to anyone that wants to learn to become an EMT. So he's continuing the fight that myself and my father and his father started over 30 years ago. And with the group that's with him now, which were the youth squad at the time when we started, those were the babies that were born into the organization that grew up summers and weekends in that trailer up under us learning CPR, the choking procedure, first aid, how to respond to emergencies, learning that stuff and then taking over the reins of the organization now in this dispensation of time where they have received a charter from the city of New York to take on another territory in New York City, the Brownsville East New York section. Oh, yeah. So again, I just want to congratulate them for a job well done and let them know that we see what they're doing and with 
and we want them to continue, and we want them to train the next generation to be able to take over when their time comes, when they need to pass the baton. And to you all over, in general, again, this is true matter. You know, they're always talking about, um, you know, the, the you are the future. Well, you know, what was that James Brown that, that has that song, uh, uh, talking loud and singing nothing? <laughs> well, that, that's what it really is when you really look at it because if you are the future, then why would you put such obstacles in front of your future? You better be you going to school right now and coming out of school $250,000 in debt before they even get their first paycheck. But that's your future. You have the youth that you're, uh, uh, you know, corrupting every chance you get. You're legalizing marijuana, but you're also filling it with over 500 different chemicals that you already know because your scientists have already done the work that one time that they smoking, that one of those chemicals is going to lock on to one of the cells in their brain and it's going to affect them for the rest of their life. You already knew that. This is a plan of genocide for our youth. You have malt liquor and, 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 and tobacco, menthol cigarettes, and every drug you can name is our community. On every block, you have it, and you know it there by design. You're still working. You know, Brother Houston, remember when we three the hard way? Yes, sir. Remember the plot? The plot of the movie was that some scientists were going to put something into the reservoir, into the water uh, uh, um, structure that would only affect black people. And mm-hmm. Frank Williamson and Jim Kelly and Jim Brown had to band together to try and stop it. Well, that was Hollywood, but it's happening in real life. That's right. In real life, this is going on. They are policing the water supply to where it only affects a specific DNA. That's how sinister these people are. So, you know, again, this is Black History Month, and we're not going on a double note. We're just, we're just stating the facts the way they are. But we're not even worried about it because we know that we are backed by Almighty God Himself. We know that we are protected by God and all the things that the nature of the universe. It's not our fault, but we do have to choose to sin. Because if you don't choose to sin, you're going to be chosen for a sin. So let us stand up and take our rightful place and fight for the right to live, fight for the right for our children and our families to live, and fight for the right to protect what we call ours. Brother Yusuf, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Yes, sir. 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 Yes, s
Yes, sir, brother. Thank you, brother, for putting that content into context. And uh, thank you for lifting up uh, the Bed Star Volunteer Ambulance Corps. Uh, thank you for lifting up uh, Paul Washington, John Coombs, and the black women in the fire service. But certainly that's a very significant history that uh, we should lift up when time and circumstance permits. What we'll do is maybe next week lift up the women, but very significant when you have, even today, certain women running certain fire departments and or fire service organizations. Shout out to yes, our dear sister, Sister Tony Washington, who's over uh, Decatur County, DeKalb County, I believe it is, at this time, who I think is the longest uh, sitting chief, woman chief, uh, black woman chief in America at this time. But so many come to mind, so many come to mind. I, I don't want to start because I won't do it justice, won't do them justice. But next week, uh, I'll definitely shout out black women in the fire service and their contribution yes, today. Brothers and sisters, we're at um, 5.18 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Feel free to come into the studio. I understand that some people are trying to get in and are having difficulty. So forgive us for the technical difficulty. You know, Black Hole Radio, not necessarily Black Hole Radio, but Blog Talk Radio has been having difficulty in these last few weeks with the technology. So we, we look forward to correcting that ASAP as soon as possible so we can get our listening audience in that you might add on and enrich our program with both your your questions, your comments, your constructive criticism. So, again, we welcome those who are on the line to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. And just a couple of things that came to my mind as um, I, I wanted to take this journey up the East Coast. I, 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 I was in the Tidewater, Hampton Roads area of southeastern Virginia, but as I traveled north yesterday, as I made it toward northern Virginia, uh, we can give a shout-out to Chief uh, the, the, the chiefs who, who, who helped uh, Fairfax County be the national powerhouse that they are, whether they get credit or not. It sounds like someone's trying to get in. The technology has been resolved. Welcome to yes, another edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. Will you please state your name and where you're calling from and how may we serve you? Um, this is uh, Gary Tinney from, from New Haven, Connecticut. Big Brother Gary Tenney, welcome, Big Brother. Thank you. Thank you for your perseverance, your steadfastness. Uh, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, our dear brother, Brother Gary Tenney, is currently the Executive Vice President of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. He's been working out of New Haven since uh, his career and henceforth. And, uh, New Haven currently has a black fire chief, our dear brother, Brother John Austin, who's also an instructor at the Dr. Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute. So welcome, Brother Executive Vice President Gary Tenney. Add to the conversation however you will, sir. Thank you for calling in. And getting All right, just again, I wanted to thank you for inviting me. And, uh, 
sorry that I had, you know, I'm, I'm not that tech savvy, so I tried every way to get into it, but I finally got through, and I thank you for that. Um, so, again, I, um, uh, I serve as the uh, Executive Vice President of the International Association of Professional Black, Black Professional Firefighters, and uh, and uh, Brother Muhammad. I, uh, I've learned so much from you, your teachings, and, your, and, uh, and so many other of our elders who've done so much for us. Uh, that being said, I just want to give, since we're talking about Black History Month, I'd like to give a shout-out to some of our founders locally. Um, our first national president out of New Haven, Connecticut, was uh, in our, our chapter of the New Haven Firebird Society, Donald Wilson. He lost recently. Uh, and thank you for his service. And our second president was Mr. George Sweeney, um, who, who was very uh, uh, active in the organization and filed a lawsuit that ended up uh, not only uh, setting a precedent locally, but nationally as far as hiring in the fire service. Uh, he had the opportunity to accept the funds, but instead he asked them to hire uh, you know, black and brown folks until they reached number 75 in the department, which was a major milestone, in, uh, especially in the city of New Haven and the start of employment black and brown folks throughout our city. Um, and there's so many others. We've, we've, unfortunately, we've lost a lot of our presidents. Um, but one of, another one was our first female president was uh, Cheryl Broadnack. Um, mm-hmm. So, again, the struggle still continues. And uh, currently, throughout the departments throughout the country, we're facing, we're in a worse situation we are now than we were 40 years ago as far as African-American representation throughout the departments. So, again, I just want to thank you, President Muhammad, and uh, our past presidents and all our members who continue to fight and engage in uh, uh, the battles throughout the communities and beyond and uh, make a difference in the lives of others and setting those foundations for, for masses of people. I apologize. Yes, sir, That's my, my dog. When he sees that I'm on the phone, he'll grab something to make a lot of noise. <laughs> well, uh, like yeah, most thank you do. Do. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Well, Brother Gary, thank you for calling in, brother, and lifting up your first president and brother George Sweeney and sister Cheryl Broadnax. And, you know, we got... We have members, IBPF members on the line, some behind the scenes, some in the studio. So I must convey uh, a, a original salute once again from our seventh president, Brother Johnny J. Broynton. He said, please make sure I give you uh, the greetings and a salute to you, big brother, for coming on and all the things that you've been blessed to do as well as you, Brother Rudolph. He says original salute to you for all that you've done, brother, and all that you're doing by God's grace and mercy. So, uh, Brother Rudolph, you have a question uh, for Brother Tenney or Brother Addington, if you're still with us. you have a question for our dear brother before he gets off and, and, and feeds his dog? <laughs> <laughs> I got to be sincere. No, I don't have any questions. I just want to say thank you, brother, for picking up the mantle, picking up the baton, and running your leg on the relay. Well, uh, again, I stand on the shoulders of the kings and queens, and uh, since you have a bunch of them in the room now, I uh, 
they know I appreciate them, and I was able to survive the fire service. Uh, I retired five years ago, but I was able to survive the fire service because of them, because of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters and leaders that you have in this room. Um, and one more thing I would like to mention, too, which is a milestone, is, uh, you know, we have, I, I think, across the country right now, I think we're around 7% of African Americans in the fire service. And back in the 70s, we were around 14%, I believe. So we got to, the struggle is real, and we got to continue to fight the good fight and, uh, and, play, and, and, and honor our elders folks who, who have taken us and put us in a position to raise our families and educate our families and, and, uh, and live. So, again, thank you, and I thank all everybody on the line with us, too. Thank you, good brother. We bless you and your family, and thank them, your family, for their sacrifice, brother. Thank you, brother Jack, the executive vice president of IBPFF. Brother Addington, did you have something you wanted to share? No, I, I would just say before I cut away is is that I appreciate what you uh, two good brothers are continuing to do. Uh, Young Longevity and this blog talk radio uh, uh, is unprecedented, and in my opinion, and that uh, continue to do what you do. I mean, y'all the gangsters of the blog talk. Yes, sir. Well, we thank you. <laughs> oh, brother. President Addison Stewart, thank you, brother, for blessing us with your presence, brother. Yes, and again, sir. you know how we do. We say thank your wonderful family for their sacrifice that you were That's able right. to do the things that you were able to do and that you continue to do, you know, that you continue to do. Brother, Executive Vice President Gary Tenney, give the young brothers there uh, uh, the greetings for me. They had me come in last at their last dinner dance, scholarship dance, to uh, address the community there in New, ha- New Haven. So, uh, yeah, please give the young brothers the greetings on my behalf because uh, I-, I just appreciate the, the, the next generation that they want to carry on what has been established on their behalf, some of, them, some of them knowing the history, others not knowing the history, but they know the need that um, – you know, it's interesting, Brother Rudolph, that you brought up that movie because I was thinking of a movie, too, when Brother Addington was talking about the discrimination that took place back in the day. We'll just say 50s, 60s, 60s, 70s. There was a movie right. called Firehouse starring yes, John Roundtree, right? And so back in that right. day before uh, we were enlightened, that the fight would, would, would begin in the courts, right, through the legislative and, uh, and, 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 and political arena, there were times where, when, as Brother Addington said, it was blatant discrimination or disrespect for you even being there, where the brothers you just used to just say to the, the other folk, well, let's meet in the parking lot after we get off our tour. And, right. and, and settle it that way. There you go. <laughs> and settle it that way. And that's depicted in that movie, Firehouse, with uh, Richard Roundtree. So when you mentioned the movie, I wanted to also share that because sometimes movies can show us the reality of what's going on, uh, even right. though it may be Hollywood, 
we can relate to uh, certain circumstances. So as we enter, brothers and sisters, into the last half hour of this week's program, we also encourage you to press one on your star pad if you, you know you desire to come into the studio and be a part of this conversation. This is not a monologue. We thank Almighty God for the 10th president of the IBPFF, the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters, our dear brother Addington Stewart out of St. Louis for coming in and hanging out with us this week. And we thank uh, Brother Executive Vice President Gary Tenney for coming through. You know, he was having a little difficulty getting in the studio, but with stick to I think that's a word, don't ask me to spell it, but with perseverance, it is now. he got through. <laughs> and he shared and he shared with us a little bit, just a little bit. He lifted up the elders and the ancestors. <clears throat> Pardon me. But he shared with us some of the conditions as well as Brother Addington that still exist today. So as I took the journey yesterday from uh, Virginia Beach to Atlantic City, I know when I passed Northern Virginia, I had to give the shout-out to those who established, (coughs) pardon me, the IBPFF organizations in Fairfax and in Arlington, and how can we not go from Northern Virginia through D.C., where we lift up Brother Romeo Spaulding, a living legend, Brother Ted Holmes, living legends, and former president of the IBPFF on whose shoulders we stand. Shout out to them and their families. And Ray Alfred, last year this time, uh, the local chapter, the Progressive Firefighters of Washington, D.C., invited me in where they had a program at their training center for the young cadets on black history. So shout out to President Gary Wiggins, uh, Southeast Regional Director Robert Pearson. So I hear someone else coming in. It's a siren, so that means it's a state of emergency, never seen such urgency. Thank you for calling in to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. To whom are we speaking, and how may we serve you? Assalamualaikum. Can you hear me? Waalaikum salam, sir. Loud and clear. Sounds like Brother Allah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How y'all feeling today? The finest wine and And I'm better yeah, now I'm hearing your work. voice, sir. And you? Yes, sir. I'm at work. I checked in a little late. But I heard, I was listening to the brother. The brother was saying that. I was listening to the brother's stats at the end. The brother said 7% fire, black firefighters. And it's down from, from the teens. I, 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 I did not realize that. Because, you know... In this day and time, where 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 fire departments are now being integrated, it, it, it you see you see the visibility is more. But I guess because there's more departments, it's still less of us. But I, I was just shocked at the number seven percent is like minute. That's right. The clock has been turned back, brother. You know, in 1995, the year of the Million Man March, that was the apex, according to the Department of Labor, 
of blacks in the fire service where out of uh, approximately uh, 300,000 personnel, um, there were 15% of blacks on the job. And now as brother, uh, executive vice president of the IBTSF, brother Gary Kenny said, he said 7% currently. So it's dropped dramatically. And it's really no accident for those of us who've been around because I can remember as far back as 1991, Dr. Carl Holmes was saying that it was going to be that if we didn't prepare properly our people. And sure enough, right. uh, word to the wise is sufficient. That's exactly what has happened, Brother Allah. Yes, sir. I, I so, guess I'm some might oh, even say it's less land. than 7% now. Some might even say it's uh, less than 7%. Wow. I, I know in New York, growing up in New York, I know it was only 3% or less in, in mm-hmm. New York City. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm falling here in Atlanta right now because the majority of firefighters are black and the majority of communities are black communities in the, in the, in the major majority of Atlanta. So most of the firefighters that you see will be black. So though that's why those numbers were so shocking to me. Mhm. Mhm. You know, it's interesting you should say that, brother, because uh September eleventh, two thousand one, when the World Trade Center went down, at that time, uh the the presidents of the Vulcan Society, brother Rudolph, brother Paul Washington, and then brother John Coombs they were yeah. actually engaged in a lawsuit at that time. That's and correct. of the 343, excuse me, yeah, 343 fire service personnel who perished that day, 12 of them were black. And I found it interesting that 12 of the 343 is 3%. So actually, wow. God was bringing to the world the same statistics of why the Vulcan Society was suing the fire department in New York for discrimination because they were only 3% black at that time. Isn't that something? Yes, sir. Wow. Yes, sir. It's unbelievable. And they made it so difficult for you to get in. But you can attest to that. that it was difficult. You, I, I took that, that uh, NY. The New York Fire Department exam, I got a 98 and still didn't make the cut. At a 98, 97, you don't make the cut? What what do you have to do to get in? Not what? But it's always always nepotism. That's the word. It's nepotism. They they want their sons and uncles and cousins, and, and it's a good old job until... But when you see us getting in, that's when you know that that is not so much of a good old job anymore. When we start dominating, you know, they start flipping the table on us. Because uh, even when I started in EMS in '99, it wasn't it wasn't black dominated. It was black people there, but it wasn't black dominated. But now it's dominated by you know people that look like us. And now it's like, uh, you know, I will, it was it was adult families on what they were getting paid, and now it's young people just making a couple of dollars, and 
it's it's not the same. The 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 cost of living has gone up greatly, but the amount that EMTs and firefighters are getting paid in some areas are is so small. It's, 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 you might be making six dollars more than you were in '99, opposed to what we what what, what it is now. Well, you should be making twenty dollars more, according to the cost of living. Well, yes, since I started in '99 making twelve dollars an hour, and when I left New York in 2017, I mean in '19, they were still paying EMT twelve dollars, fourteen dollars an hour, until New York State said that all people had to get paid, they raised minimum wage to $15 an hour. If it wasn't for that, they still would be paying $9, $10, $11, $12 an hour to start, Mm. which is is a slap in the face. You know, it's a slap in the face for the service that these people do every day. That's right. And they say, oh, you, oh, you, you, you preach it, of, brother. You preach it. You know, they, they try to say that the reason why EMTs and medics and firefighters in certain parts of the country don't get paid a lot of money is because of their level of education. But what about their level of dedication? What about their oh. level of you forget uh, that these are the people that run in when everybody's running out. Is that not worth something? When things go bump in the night for you and your family and anybody else, is that not worth something? Because these are the people that show up at your bedside and pick you up and take you where you need to be. Is that not worth something? I don't, I, I don't understand how, because I went to school, and I may not even have gotten good grades, but I passed and got a, a nursing license is more important than, oh, I, I, I was in 9-11 and I survived and didn't die and I don't have cancer and I, and I don't have any other underlying diseases or, 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 and I survived uh, uh, COVID and I also survived different other tragedies that happened during the years this disaster, that disaster, this flood, this uh, 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 hurricane, tornado, it, all over the country you have first responders surviving this, shootings, mass shootings, stabbings. We're on the front lines for everything, first responders. And they still say, well, because of your education level, we can't give you the benefit of some, some money. They give you pennies on a dollar. Oh, we're going to give you, give you a 3% raise. What does that do? Inflation went up 11%. What did that do for me? I still have to drive a car. I still have to live, in, live somewhere. What does that do for me? You know, my dedication is, is worth something. And, and I'm not speaking just for self. I'm speaking in general, but all the first responders, our dedication That's is right. worth something. And, you know, and I just feel like, you know, it needs to be said and recognized. For those who don't know, a lot of the people on here, they know. For those who don't know, I'm just getting, putting that gem out there 
and that and that and that thought out there for them to be able to say, you know what, they 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 really do this and they do this thoughtlessly, they do this effortlessly, they do this with pride and they do this with grace, they do this just they just do it. And we just do it every day. We do it. Right now I'm on the ambulance talking to you, driving through traffic. We just do it. I don't I don't have a problem doing it again and again and again. It's not a you know, it's not about the money, but sometimes it is about the money because when we can't pay a bill and we can't fix our car or we can't, you know, we can't feed our children or provide, you know, some of the things that we may need in our lives, you know, it does hurt. It stings to know that, you know, I, I, I'm a hero every day, but I go home to my shack. I'm a hero every day, and I get in my putt foot. But we don't make that problem everyone else's problem. We get in that putt foot, and we do it again the next day. But I'm going to leave you with that, and I just want everybody in the, in the audience to understand that it's, it's dedication should be a prerequisite for, for, for recognition and also for, for financials. The compensation, yes, sir. To help you when you know this no, is you put the jewel out there. You're right. You're a thousand percent right. <laughs> you know, it, it's a shame that the people who you look to when you call nine one one, you forget about after they come. They only it's in two of them. Like you said, when things go bump in the night. Yeah. You know, that's a that 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 is a topic for another show. And, yes, sir, and we're gonna do sometimes. Yeah. We're gonna definitely You know, one of the it. instructors one of the instructors, Brother Allah, at the Dr. Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute, our dear brother, former fire chief of St. Louis, Missouri, uh, Brother Sherman George, he always talked about the economic component as to why they always, the systems that be, did not want us to be a part of the profession because of how much money could be made. And if right. you do the Correct. math as a firefighter, no matter what the entry level exam is, uh, uh, entry level, uh, um, what they're offering you is at a certain amount, that money increases. With certain cert- certifications, that money increases. And if you do 20 years in the profession, you can really say that you were a million, a millionaire because you could legitimately have made a million dollars in your career. So one of the one of the deterrents of why it went from 15% in 1995 to 7% today according to brother executive vice president Tenney is the prison to pipe the the, the, the prison industrial complex Right. Because once our recruitment pool, young brothers and sisters get uh, some type of criminal record attached to their their, their their way of life, 
then that reduces the opportunity for us to recruit them. Now, there's ways around it. Some cities are better than others as as to uh, making sure our young brothers and sisters have the opportunity. But if the truth be told, I don't know if you were on, Brother Allah, in the beginning where Brother Addington Stewart, former president of IBPFF, told the story of Dr. Carl Holmes when he was on the job as a driver for his deputy chief, battalion chief, where his son just gave birth to a little boy, and they rode to the hospital in the maternity ward. The father and the grandfather were debating on whether or not the baby was going to be an engine motor pump operator or a trucky driver ladder. They had already planned for this baby where he was going to be in order to be in position to become one of those millionaires and some kind of leader that if we made it on the job, they would be over us as a people. So we have to know our history. Thank you, Brother Law, for calling in, Brother. Very significant points you're making. I just wanted to agree with you and build on it. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Brother. So y'all keep on doing what y'all doing. Keep on keeping on. Oh, hold on, hold on. You ain't giving away that easy. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. Now, this is Black History Month. And since you on here, you are part of Black History. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Welcome to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. Thank you for calling. How may we be of service to you? And to whom do we have the pleasure of speaking to? Salaam alaikum. This is Sister Safira. Salaam. There we go. I saw just long enough. Okay. All right. <laughs> Walaikum salam, Sister Safira. How, yes. how are my brothers doing? Oh, we fine as wine and mellow as a cello. I Better mean. now hearing your voice. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Now, yeah. now we should get this party started. All right. right. <laughs> now, I was waiting to get the two of you on here. Because oh, wow. I, both, both of y'all come from the New York City area. You know, the city's so nice they had to name it twice. You know, and y'all went down, down, like Jesus went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Y'all went down from New York City to Atlanta, Georgia. And you got down to you got down to Atlanta, Georgia to realize one superior. You realize that Atlanta, Georgia is the almost the death capital for pregnant women. That's right. Allah, you realize that where EMS is concerned, hell, you might as well be riding around on brontosauruses and Tyrannosaurus rexes because they in the Stone Age back there with the way they respond to emergencies. Coming from New York City. And both of you are doing a yeoman's job, as they say, in your profession to ensure that you change the course of history and 
right the wrongs that are being done. Now, very quickly, let me just let me just say this: Allah, you're opening up a school there where you can teach people what they need to know to become first responders across the board, and not only can they become first responders, but they can then build on that education and go anywhere that they want in the medical field or anywhere else, but you're making the opportunity available to them in their own community. Am I right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I started the Georgia Independent Volunteer Emergency Medical Service. So what it, it's a non-for-profit, which is it gives people low or no cost EMT certification and medical certification for them to get jobs. Not only that will it be doing EMT programs, but it will also provide uh, firefighter one program, firefighter two program, and we'll be able to assist that and help people get the post of police officers service test for them to be able to get jobs and be able to be community pillars and advocates in the community and help build um, build their community and build themselves. You know, full of pain and suffering raise their mentality. Get off these streets and, and, and be able, if they're going to be on the streets, be on the streets as an advocate, be on the streets as a, as a, as a provider, as a, as a protector of the streets instead of being a menace. You know, it's not that these children or these young people or these people are bad people. Most of them are not bad people, but what it is is they don't have the opportunity. They don't see the way. They don't see a, a way to make what they want to do be be what it is. If you want to be out there, you can be out there. You can be out there as a security. You can be out there as a nurturer. You can be out there as a provider instead of being out there as a hindrance and 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 and, 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 and just a, 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 a wart on the community. You can then become yes, a when you have these skills. Man, yeah, man, brother. man. All right, all right. All right. And now, and you, sis, okay, now, you have created an organization out there to uh, put the help where the hurt is. You have a, the bomb in Gilead for the wounded soul. You're trying to make the sin sit whole. Uh, you're trying to save the lives of not just pregnant women, but mothers to be and and give them an opportunity to have the, their child have some dignity and to do it in a loving caring environment rather than the environment that it's in now can you tell us about your program sister Sarah? yes sir so i created um a company called Birth Responders. Originally, when I um, took my walk into birth work, I thought, you know, and I was a massage therapist, and I was like, oh, you know, I heard about a doula, and wow, I could create this therapeutic birth companion company, and I could be there to comfort mothers and, 
you know, gradually as um, time has gone on, I realized that mothers did reset the therapeutic component, but that we were like snowballing into a state of emergency um, for these black mothers, native mothers, really all the mothers are dying. Every race of moms are dying. However, it's the native and the black women that are dying six times more than their white counterparts. So mm. as that went on, I realized, like, I got to do something else. So I had uh, then, I had I, I helped found a board called the Community Midwives National Alliance, and we decided to write a bill that opened up pathways here in Georgia because currently the only um, midwife that's acceptable in Georgia is a midwife. And so there have been... Is, is a what? Is a, a, a certified nurse midwife. Okay. Right. One that has gone, you know, through a college program and the state is only recognizing them, although... Georgia is well known in history for what they call the granny midwives. You know, the midwives who run the black midwives. That's right. That um that um you know, help birth America. <laughs> you know? So, um so anyway, I had been in, you know, doing the legislating, helping write the bill, the bills and things of that nature and then, you know, I partnered up with a lot and, you know, he was giving me, you and him both were giving me some consultation on EMS and kind of urging me to get into it. And I formulated the idea of a birth responder. And a birth responder is a trained, uh, both a uh, birth professional trained in emergency medical response uh, with the knowledge, skill, and ability to assist in the natural birthing process. And I'm like, if I certify, if I get certified, as an EMC who's allowed legally on paper to help catch babies, this may be a way in to kind of not override but complement what's happening here in Georgia and have a way in for the birth workers to actually be boots on the ground. So, um, yeah, so so that's, that's how birth responders was born out of a need, out of, you know, wanting to fill a gap. And so we, I, as, I, as I began to just build on birth responders, I thought about expanding the idea. And now, you know, what about having my own 911 number, a 999 number, 999 number, and taking the burden off of the 911 system when, you know, they get those calls for birth or anything reproductive and funneling it to my company. So now we right. created an, uh, a new marketplace. Now we, we're creating jobs and training, whereas we can partner with kids, train the midwives, the doulas, the birth workers, get them to become EMTs and paramedics. Literally today, I went to visit one of the moms I, that I have. I, I've helped her have three home births, three babies at home. And I was just telling her, you know, about birth responders. And she was like, how can I become one? How can I help? And I'm like, and she has a medical background. The only thing she didn't do was 
um, I think she she was in her she was becoming a doctor and she didn't complete maybe testing, but she did everything else and she started to have children and focused on you know that. So I'm like, wow, she's asking me now. I want to become a birth responder, and I'm like, that's full circle for me. But yeah, but but that's right. the concept, and that's how I see it happening. Is the women are gonna to want to be there for the women, you know? Um, this is a necessity. This is a need, and you know what I really love most about it is that I am raised and born out of the nation of Islam, and I think about the gift of being innovative and uh, you know helping to birth with women and just coming out of that order and I'm so grateful that the idea would come to me to even go this route I've been up at the the um, state capitol recently and we uh, I had a doula day there where I gave away some gift boxes to moms and um, had legislators come in the room and talk to me about what it is I was doing. It was basically a community baby shower, but I had it in the state capital of Georgia. And as the different legislators came in and I told them my goals, and they were all so excited and said, give me, give, get us more information. Let us know when you're ready. We've got you. We're, we're behind this. You know, so I've been just trying to stay you know, close to making this, you know, a manifestation, and I'm, I'm really just grateful. Man. And I'm really grateful to all of you because even my, my beginning and first response was me being invited to EBI um, as a massage therapist and bringing my, my business there when the brothers would come into Atlanta at Clark University Clark Atlanta University, Mm -hmm. and I would bring my students, and we would, you know, do the services there. Uh, That was the first time I I was really introduced to the the black first responders, and I never saw a a black woman teach, and I was exposed to that, you know, and then when I became, you know, partnering with Brother Allah, and then I became myself an EMT, um, it, it, it changed my world. It changed my whole trajectory on first response in the first place. And I, one of the things while you all were talking a little while ago is how can we make an, an influx of, you know, of first responders um, in our community? How can we, what should we do to start getting, you know, um, the youth to, to realize that this is, this is a great opportunity to be on the inside of America, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Because we're always on the outside of the of the devastation and the tragedy, but we're never on the inside. And what I learned being on this side is that we have so much uh, access from from the first responder point of view. You know. And the other thing is that I wondered what you all thought about the idea of, like, I am a little older, and I'm just becoming an EMT the last two years. I really think that this is something that older people could rethink, if not 
the firefighter position, but at least the EMS positioning, it would be like a rebirth, you know, and and helping that 7% grow of um, first responders. Uh, I don't know what the, the difference between the EMTs and the firefighters are, but I'm I'm like, wow, this is an opportunity for people to reinvent themselves. I'm done. Sorry. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> no, we thank yes, you. Man. All praises. Well, no, you're not love, done. You know? You're not done, but we're going to put a pin in it for this week, and we want you to come back on to the show um, if you can next week or week after. You know, this is Black History Month, so we need to uh, exhaust this, uh, this, 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 this hypothesis here, this theory here, and, and turn this theory into a working reality in every community across right. the, the, the world where our people live. Yes. So right. thank you, Safira. Uh Keep doing what you're doing. And like I said, be ready next week, same time, same station, so that we can uh, <laughs> talk some more about it and talk how we can get your program into other cities that have That's similar nice. dynamics. Yes, sir. Thank you. Brother Yusuf? Yeah, well, we're looking at time, my Gucci. A, yes, sir. Looking at my Gucci, it's about that time. So I'm going to sign off now and let you close us out, brother. And God willing, we will all be back next week with another edition uh, of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness as we go further into Black History Month and talking about the accomplishments of our brothers and sisters. Assalamu alaikum. Walaikum salam, walaikum salam, Brother Rudolph. Thank you for your contribution. Thanks to all who called in, Brother Addington Stewart, Brother Gary Tenney, Sister Safir, Brother Allah, and those who were listening, who were texting and giving information. I mean, look, when I think about it, I'm sitting in Atlantic City, New Jersey right now, and I can't help but to think about Chief Marvin Beatty or throw a stone to Camden, New Jersey, and think about Charlie Green or throw a stone to Philadelphia and think about Charlie Hendricks, or Newark, New Jersey, John West, or Cleveland, Lloyd Nobles, or New York, John Ruffers. We stand on the shoulders of greatness, brothers and sisters. Let us continue to tune in. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the honor of your ear, the privilege of your presence. And as Brother Rudolph said, next week, Lord willing, same time, same station, even with these few words shared by me and we, I guess it's still the way it used to be. The strength of a nation is its family, and real freedom is responsibility, the, re, uh, the ability to respond legitimately by any means necessary. We love you. Have a wonderful evening, a wonderful weekend, a wonderful week, and inshallah, we'll get back next week. Love you. Assalamu alaikum.
Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.